in a closer way. Um, worship is what we're doing now. This is the gathered church in worship, vitally important, certainly an aspect of discipleship. But the, the eight categories or eight areas are listed there on your sermon page. On the left, you'll see eight attitudes, the compelling call of Jesus, surrender, belief, praying, watching your heart, humility, forgiving, temptation, and confessing Christ. Next Sunday, our the Right Reverend Brandon Edmonds will uh, be preaching on temptation uh, next Sunday. So this morning is on forgiving. So number number uh, well, that's uh, that's uh, two, four, six. Number six on the list there. Um, uh, wow, forgiving. This is where the Christian life really <laughs> really meets uh, the real world. Uh, forgiving. Um, a neighbor put in a pool. This neighbor, we will call them neighbor number one. They put in a pool and then they wanted privacy and probably were required to put in a fence by the city ordinances. And so they began to put in a fence. Neighbor, neighbor one had lived on this property for 20 years. Then a fight started over one thousandth of an acre um, something like 72 cubic feet. Uh, number two neighbor had been parking their car on a shared driveway. Number one owns the land, uh, uh, and underneath that driveway, about 60% of that driveway. So number one owns about 60% of that driveway. Number one puts a fence, hires a fence contractor to put a fence down the middle of the driveway of the land that they own. Uh, as the fence contractor arrives, neighbor number two puts their car in the driveway, preventing the installation of the fence. How much fight would you have for one thousandth of an acre of land? This was brought uh, to the New York State um, Supreme Court, this dispute. Um, and I don't know exactly how the, uh, the dispute uh, resolved itself, but I would think that the neighbor who owned the property won. Bitterness, fighting, uh, this characterized, was characterizing this border dispute. We have border disputes as well uh, with people, with Christians. We have border disputes. They have trampled on some part of our emotional property. Our sensibilities uh, are disregarded. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Now, the only verse we have in our Bible text is there in verse 25. Um, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. Uh, that's the only verse we're going to be looking at today. And uh, what I want to do is I want to unpack some of the hows and the whys of forgiveness. What a fantastically important subject for us to think about. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, this is an important time Probably, uh, probably important for every single person here that we could grow in this grace of forgiveness. May the radical news of Jesus really make us into people who are, by way of our own very nature, the vibe, the way we conduct ourselves, that we are forgiving. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. All right, just by way of quick outline, some key words I'm trying to get underneath, trying to get a, a, a shovel underneath this verse 25 and try to pry open uh, some ideas. So rejoicing is a key word. Rejoicing that this radical news of forgiveness gets deeper and better. Not only rejoicing, but resolved. This radical news of forgiveness for me will impact my view of others such that I will act toward others the same way God acted toward me. And then the key word, not only resolved, but remember. Remember that a lack of forgiveness is evidence of a life disconnected to the presence of God through prayer. Don't want to end on a negative note, and I hope we don't, but that, uh, as I look at that as the one who creates sermons, that's a little bit of a negative way to end a sermon. But the lack of forgiveness is evidence of a life disconnected. So Jesus, in the midst of this, the context of this chapter 11, uh, Jesus has uh, done a bold thing. He's, he has uh, performed a negative miracle. And it is a living, par- uh, well, no, it's a dead parable. It once was a, li- it's, a, it's an active parable, as it were, a parable-like action on Jesus' part. And Israel was, in the time when Jesus visited Israel, comes into Jerusalem, inspects the temple, there's no fruit among these people. It was a decisive moment in Israel's history. Jesus comes with perfect judgment, discernment, and decisiveness. And he curses a fig tree outside of Jerusalem. The disciples notice it the next day. And then Jesus turns the subject to to two subjects. They have noticed how powerful his words are. And he turns and talks about how powerful their words will be. And two subjects come up. First of all, in prayer, you will speak powerful, bold prayers. You could, it would even be like you praying that a mountain be moved into the sea. Not sure any, why anybody would want to pray that way. Uh, but this is the bold prayer that will characterize these disciples who will move out into the world and see the need to pray bold prayers because what they're doing is like moving a mountain. Then the subject moves to another kind of boldness, but this one's deeply relational. And it kind of drops out of nowhere. It seems somewhat, somewhat odd. Verse 25, oh, and by the way, when you're praying, forgive. Relational boldness will characterize you. Relational boldness will characterize you. In order for us to enter into forgiveness, the radical news of Jesus has got to really permeate our hearts. The forgiveness that's in Christ has got to be with us as we engage people who have trampled on our borders. The things that we have held important, our emotional property, our what we would see to be our rights, what we've tried to accumulate, perhaps our reputation, something we have been working on, a project at work, uh, efforts in a marriage, things you have thought are, are really important and they are good and 
And now you feel disrespected, perhaps even sinned against. The, the flow of the heart is to be forgiving even before that person apologizes. Stay connected to people. Another way of putting this is do not let bitterness become an obstacle to the kingdom's movement in your heart. Um, I don't know if I know of a more important subject that I have learned in the time that I've been in ministry. Individuals who quickly acknowledge, of course I, of course I forgive them but don't act like they've forgiven them. I have seen that a great deal. I've seen this subject be treated lightly. And this subject disregarded as that important. As something that someone who is a professing Christian should probably be able to do on their own. It's a little beneath them to be taught how to forgive someone. They have this down. Uh, boy, I sure don't feel forgiven when I'm around you. <laughs> uh, I sure don't feel, right? It's kind of like legalism. I don't know if you know what legalism is. Legalism is someone's putting some standard on you, something. How could you wear that shirt in the pulpit? Uh, some standard on you, and you feel, you feel this vibe. You feel legalism before you ever understand what it is. You feel unforgiveness before you ever understand what's going on, right? You feel it. You just feel it, right? Whenever you pray, uh, <clears throat> did you hear how Jesus put it? Whenever you pray, uh, let me just give you Todd's translation. You should expect forgiveness to be central to your prayer. Because you will be carrying with you hard things, afflictions, hardships, difficult things you have been sinned against. If you are active in the kingdom, I'm not talking about attending church is fantastic and important, worship central, very good. There's different levels of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the Monday, night, Monday, Monday quarterback who criticizes the quarterback from, from Sunday, right? Or Saturday, right? It's called Monday morning quarterback. That means that you're second-guessing what you saw on television. Why'd they run the play at the three-yard three line? They should, have, they should have passed it to the right? That's called Monday morning quarterbacking. There are people who Monday morning quarterback with the Christian faith, they leave themselves a lot of distance they don't get involved they're not in the front lines of ministry they're not engaged in ministry this forgiveness subject is for disciples it's for those who are consciously self-aware that they are going to take on the agenda of the kingdom for those who are not self-consciously aware that they're going to take on the agenda of the kingdom this doesn't relate to them I imagine, for instance, something like this, a mega church in Southern California. I'm from Southern Cal, so I'm familiar with this. Someone drives 45 minutes to attend this church. Wow, fantastic, impressive. And then someone else, that they drive from the south 
uh, they, and they drive north. And then someone uh, drives from the north and they drive south and, and they drive 45 minutes. And they sit next to each other in church for an hour and then they, they never see each other again. That's Southern California church life, by the way. Right? Now, where does forgiveness ever, how would it ever enter into those people's experience? Not at all, you see. So <clears throat> forgiveness is a proximity thing. Forgiveness is a mission team thing. We're traveling together, and I can't believe how slow this person packs their bag. I can't believe how this person has, and you see, it's proximity. If you have no proximity to other believers, this doesn't mean anything to you. This is like, I don't know. And you will conclude, of course I forget. Of course. You, you have not entered into, you see, you don't know what it's like to be a quarterback, but you can criticize the quarterback, see? So there's a proximity thing going on here. Now, the only thing that's ever going to make this work is you're rejoicing, point number one. You're rejoicing that this radical news of forgiveness is getting deeper and better. You just, there's a, I mean, there's a thing going on with ministers right now. I'll let you know what it is. A lot of guys, after they go into training in seminary, and this is a thing in our, in our denomination, the PCA, we have our, our national seminary, is in St. Louis. And do you know that about half of the men who've been trained for ministry about five years after that, they're out of it. They're done. Now, I'm not criticizing them, but there's, these are the dynamics of ministry, the, the ability to forgive, the ability to enter into affliction, relational affliction. <clears throat> now, this is the stuff that me, makes Christianity powerful. Forgiving, not condemning. <laughs> see, I, I want to be around those kind of people. See, it's interesting. I have a lot to say on this subject. It's interesting that the vibe that you get—I don't know—and I, I guess I, I don't know if you feel this or ever sense this—but there's, there's a strange vibe among Christians. Is it a vibe of forgiveness or judgment? What do you think? Strange, isn't it? I think there's a vibe of judgment around Christians. We're not grasping the deep joy of our own personal forgiveness. The, what the other person has done looms large in our life. And we are giving them saving, giving them saving power over us. Now, this kind of subject, it might work well for a sermon for a while, but this is the stuff that is one-on-one discipleship type stuff when you find, and you will not, you will find it hard to forgive. Whenever you pray, forgive. How much will it cost you to forgive someone who has borrowed $5,000 and now doesn't have the money to return it. How much will it cost you to forgive them? $5,000. You see, forgiveness is a decision to suffer. And it is it's equally part of your own freedom. In other words, you're entering into your... If you carry a grudge, if you carry a grudge against someone... Do you know that you bring them into the shower with you when you're showering? You know that? They rent space in your mind, right? 
The, the funny thing is that you carry them with you. They're, they're, they're along with you. And you, you're trying to distance yourself from them, but they are like in your mind more, more than you can imagine, right? Forgiving is a very healthy thing in order to be able to see more clearly how to resolve the conflict. The news just has to be fantastic and big. You know, here on the island of Fort Derussi, it's an army installation, um, and uh, the Royal Hawaiian Hotel, that used to be a Navy hotel. Is that still a Navy hotel? Royal Hawaiian, yeah. Might, might, may have been changed name. Anyway, so those two places, when the news was announced in August of 1945, that World War II was over with the Japanese, and then was really over because the, the Germans had uh, surrendered about four months earlier, the news broke in the, about two in the morning here on the island. And um, people went running up and down the hotels, the, the rooms, and banging on doors. And then people woke up and went wandering down into the foyers and milled around in the darkness of the streets and were rejoicing in the news that the war was over. You see, that, that exhilaration, strangers hugging strangers. You, you, you know the, the scenes, you've seen those black and white images from New York City, uh, Times Square, a half a million people um, May May 8th, I believe it was, uh, a day or two before the, the Germans had surrendered. And it was the, the, gather, the spontaneous gathering, those black and white pictures. You see, what's that one famous one with the, 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 the guy get, getting a kiss, or right? I don't know. Remember those famous pictures? And as you look at those black and white pictures, they're still alive. They're, they're still, there's still something in them that they're... That, they're 60 years old and they're still alive. It's really fascinating that the joy of that news was bringing relational connection to people who didn't know each other. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the stuff that moved these disciples. Or Curse fig tree, forgive. This is the, the stuff that moved the disciples into the darkness, into their enemies, into those who would strike them on the cheek, into those who would stone them. Paul was stoned in Lystra, and he, he came, this is up in, in Greece, and he came back to the same town about a month later. I would never go back to that town and try and kill me. This is relational power. As they were watching Jesus with his words of his power, magic words, and he curses the fig tree. I go, man, I'm sure half of them go, man, this is going to be cool. I can't wait to be one of, the, one of the apostles. And, you know, I wonder if that's what they thought. And they were fascinated with it. And Jesus says, oh, yes, but you as well will be relationally bold as you forgive. How deep is the news affecting you right now? How, how real is it? And now point number two, resolved. That one is rejoicing. Now this one's resolved. The radical news of forgiveness for me will impact my view of others such that I will act toward others the same way God acted toward me. That is driving the gospel into your heart. It is hard work. 
a woman who had suffered the concentration camps of Germany, Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch woman who, along with her sister and mother, had hidden Jews in her own house. She went around. She had survived the, the prison camp. And in 1947, she found herself um, in Munich, Germany, and she had begun a ministry to help heal the Germans and help other nationalities to get over the bitterness. And she was speaking at a church in Munich, Cory Ten Boom. And she says, when we confess our sins, she says, it's as though God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. Growing up in the Netherlands, the water is so nearby. She says in this church service, the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. And she said that there were never any questions after I would talk in Germany. Never any questions. People stood up in silence, and in silence collected their wraps, and then in silence they left the room. You see, she was calling them to forgive the Germans. And then she says of this one moment in this Munich church that she says, that's when I saw him. Working his way toward me against others. And I, once I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. She's speaking about the concentration camp. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Her mother and her sister died in this concentration camp. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. He was in front of me, hand thrust out, quote, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among so, so many? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day, had every day been forgiven, could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us as a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us 
If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had come, uh, had come home to Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who nursed bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. An electric current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. We have to figure out how to connect the good news to the relational pain that others are bringing our way. Relational pain probably isn't quite adequate to describe what Corey Ten Boone experienced. This is discipleship. This is the real gymnasium of spiritual growth. By the way, it's the direction that the Spirit of God is uh, moving you toward. Uh, God is not committed to your comfort, committed to your growth. And we desperately need disciples who know how to forgive. And you will probably only move and grow to the height of your own pain threshold. Meaning, if you can't forgive people and you are easily offended always, always, and you just don't have forgiveness flowing from your heart, you have stopped growing. You just have. I don't know how long that will last. You, it, it's just happened. That's what's happened. Just as a pastor, I can tell you, something's up. The flow of grace has stopped. One last idea. Remember that lack of forgiveness is evidence of a life disconnected to the presence of God through prayer. In prayer, you know, that's why we don't really, I don't know, do you feel great about your prayer life? Um, why don't we pray that often? Well, in prayer, prayer is difficult because our lives are brought before God and uh, we, we sense his agenda, right? We sense it. We're, we're aware of it. You, you bring this text into your prayer life, um, you sense who you're holding grudges against. You sense it. You feel it, right? That's why we avoid prayer, because it's really hard to pretend before God, right? It's hard. I guess we can do that, but it's, it's pretty hard. So what happens when we have lack of forgiveness? What does that look like? Let's just explore that for a minute. What is lack of forgiveness, right? Lack of forgiveness tends to blind a person. Of course I forgive them. They dismiss it easy, right? Lack of forgiveness tends to have feet. We just leave. 
we distance ourselves. Um, we go, uh, leave marriages. Uh, we outright quit on people. Lack of forgiveness tends to have lips. We speak poorly of others when they're not present. It tends to have anger. It tends to want vindication, a settled score at least, right? Lack of forgiveness is dismissive of the person. They're, they're beneath you. They're, they're less than human. Lack of forgiveness is the opposite of love. 1 Corinthians 13, bring this text with you with your morning coffee. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not insist on its own way. Do you hear lack of forgiveness there? By the way, there's a connection between love and forgiveness, and I can't quite get it. I thought about it all week, and I just uh, I, kind of gave up on it. Because I think the two are just really, really cousins that are just holding hands. It does not insist on its own way. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 5, insist on its own way. It does not, is not irritable or resentful. There it is. Uh, Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things. Oops, there it is. There is the one who is forgiving, believes all things. In unforgiveness, what we think we found is we found the monster. And we know exactly what they are. We know their future. We have put them a, a label on them. Maybe we put a psychological term on them. We have figured out a way to distance ourselves from them. And we will not extend forgiveness. It hopes all things and it endures all things. Did you know that Paul said that? That love endures all things. When you pray, forgive. Lewis Smedes, Lewis Smedes was a very influential writer in the 70s and 80s. He wrote a great book on forgiveness years ago. And here's a quote from it. Only a free person can choose to live with an uneven score. That's really cool you guys. Only free people can choose to start over with someone who has hurt them. Only a free person can live with accounts unsettled. Corey Tenboom, she went home that night. Well, what's going to happen with this whole Nazi Germany thing and all the people were murdered? And what's going to happen? Where's the justice? Where's, you, have to live in the, you have to live in this moment anticipating God's perfect future judgment. You have to take it. You have to take it. Well, who took it for us? How about that? Who took it for us? That's where we lose sight of it. Unforgiveness is losing sight of the one who took it for us. Tim Keller writes, In its most basic and simple form, this teaching is that Christians in community are never to give up on one another, never to give up on a relationship, and never to write one another off. Now, here's just an application for you, and then I'll wrap up. Say in your heart, when you can sense it's hard to forgive someone, say this, there's got to be grace for this. There's got to be resources in Jesus for this. There's got to be a way to rethink this, to re to reimagine this. There's got to be grace for, for me. Perhaps the prayer is this, Father, I'm so angry, I'm so disturbed, so incensed, I now wait. Don't let me act. Don't let me speak. Let me sit in silence here. I do not want to forgive them, but I wait for your grace. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'll wait tomorrow. I'll wait the next day. You've called me to forgive, and it's painful. 
In prayer, God particularly works to bring to mind our judgments. And he bids us to leave the unsettled accounts to him. Let me end with a quick, fun story. So, a couple of months before Marianne and I, we lived in Northern California, in Sacramento, in the, south of Sacramento. Um, a couple of months before we went to seminary, this is years ago, we had a brand new Honda. Honda, we were so excited about it. It's the first brand, brand new car we'd ever bought. Uh, if you know my mom, uh, my, mom my, my wife's um, uh, ability with money, uh, I guarantee you it was my twisting her arm to get it because she would have been more than happy with a 12-year-old Honda. Um, so we got this brand new Honda, and I had, we'd had it for about two days. I went to go see a youth pastor friend of mine in Sacramento named Bob Biotti. And I'm there at the church in the parking lot, and there's no other cars there. It's like a Tuesday afternoon, and I'm hanging out with my friend Bob Biotti. And I come back out, and uh, our brand-new Honda, beautiful, maroon color, beautiful car, uh, on the hood, on the trunk, uh, back where the key is, right, when we put the key in, was this three-inch scratch, like two-day-old car. And it was a real scratch. I mean, it was like, wow. And I'm like, okay. So I kick on you know, my, my uh, Columbo. Remember Columbo from years ago? I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, detective hat. And uh, lo and behold, there's this lawn crew. There's a, you know, guys doing a little weed whacking and stuff. And they're over there. And there's, you know, and I think, what on earth? I mean, what, how could this have, how did this happen? And then I thought, you know, the, those lawnmowers, the, the, the handle of the lawnmower, it looks like it's about three feet tall. You know what? This looks like it's about three feet tall. Hmm. So I call the guy over and I say, hey, you know, I'm just, and again, I'm doing, I'm doing this, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I could be wrong, but what do you think of the odds that your your one of your guys the the, the handle uh, scraped my car? I mean, what do you think? I mean, how does you know? And he's oh, completely denied it, completely denied it, and said, "I got to get back to work." You know, you're crazy. So we we drive that car all the way to uh, to Florida, and I get started in uh, in seminary. And then on this strange day, I mean, I mean, years, years, months later, months later, I got a phone call. Now, what had happened was this gentleman was so burdened by his, his lying to me uh, and wanting to ask my forgiveness that he got a hold of my previous, he got a hold of Bob Biotti, who probably got a hold of my church, who not everybody in my church kind of knew where to find me. What I'm thinking is it probably took seven or eight people to try and figure out how to get a hold of me in Orlando, Florida, and to get my phone number. And here I am talking to the guy I had talked to about four months previously, and he asked for my forgiveness. You see, my forgiveness, it was, it was an honor. You see, it was an honor to be part of that. Because I could behold, I was beholding a disciple who was thirsty to be free. We don't get this all at once. We don't get it in one sermon. And in, and in the heat of the moment, we get self-protective, you see. We get self-protective, and we lose sight of the gospel, you see. And this was a moment for him to experience the freedom of the gospel, which means I can have honesty in light of my failures or in light of my crew's failure, in light of what we've done towards someone, 
And to forgive him, of course, was the call upon my heart. And to, this guy wanted to connect with me, even though we will never see each other again in this life. There's a relational beauty to that, that is what it's like to be near Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I know that I'm not as free as Jesus intends when I want pain relief more than a changed heart, when I crave vindication more than reconciliation, when I criticize quicker than I seek to understand, and when I remember slights and barbs and digs better than the gospel. Lord, thank you that you are making us into your people and at the core is this relational, beautiful quality called forgiveness. Thank you, thank you for teaching us these things and for embodying this in the very life of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. What?